Welcome to So You Can Heal. I'm Abby Parker, a licensed mental health counselor and a therapist at Still Point. And I'm Josh. I'm a licensed social worker and therapist at Still Point. Abby, how have you been? I've been good. There's been lots of changes, lots of transitions. By the time our audience is listening to this, we will have been through the holidays and I can sense that people are struggling with how to move through change and process loss. How about you? Been doing pretty well. I feel like there's been a lot of changes that are happening. It's that time of year where it is hard on a lot of people. This time feels different. What feels different about it? I don't know. Like it's, I don't know. I feel like it's moving faster. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. It just feels different. Mm -hmm. And I think with changes, things do tend to move faster. Or there's more to like pick up on or understand or comprehend or process. So today we are talking about grief and loss. And I wanted to share like the most simplest definition that I found for grief. And it's that grief is the response to loss. And I like how this is open-ended because it's not just about death. It's not just about what we think we lose. It's about all of those things. It's about the loss of meaning, the loss of attachment or affection or a bond. And in our grief response, we can experience it in, in several different layers or different dimensions or different ways. It's not just an emotional reaction. Yeah, because we experience it on a very spiritual level. We experience it on a mental, energetic level. Like there's a lot of different ways in which we experience loss. I say death quite a bit in this, but when I think of death, I don't think of it as someone necessarily passing away all the time. I see it as a transition. Hmm. We die little deaths every single day. We transition all the time. One thing passes away so another can grow. And I like that, like that we die little deaths every day. Like if we think about how our thoughts change, how our behaviors change, how our society changes, there are losses in all of those things. Yeah. I mean, so just because I'm using the word death does not necessarily mean that I'm always talking about someone passing away. Another word that gets put into the world of grief and loss is bereavement. And bereavement refers to the state of loss. So not just grief as the reaction to that loss or the loss itself, but the state of loss. And sometimes people can be in bereavement for years or their entire lifetime over something that had meaning to them. But we've seen grieving as a way for us to free up energy that has been bound to or attached to like a person, an object, an experience, an idea, so that we are able to reinvest that energy elsewhere. So it's um, a way for us to kind of wrap up, in a sense, a particular loss so that we're able to channel that energy into something new. 
And I don't necessarily mean that grieving is like, we are completely getting rid of this. Like we're going to forget about it. Like that it's not what's happening. Like, but I think that there is the part of grieving that I do think is important is, or that I'm talking about is how we are coming to terms with that loss so that we're able to see ourselves living a life beyond that loss. I think that expression of grief can be so transformational because it does help us move through difficult meaning, emotions, thoughts, like whatever it is for that person and move through into something that we can create new meaning out of. And like you were saying, like, how, how are we going to live in our life? And that could be a change in like value, expectation, the people we're with, where we live, our environment, the things that we enjoy doing. And I don't think as humans, we necessarily expect to have such significant changes in our lives. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I think we are very routine creatures. Our routines, our schedules, our predictable things make us feel safe. Right. We seek refuge in our routine. For sure. And I do think that being able to find a way to reinvest that energy into something new can be really difficult. Absolutely. Because a lot of that energy has been so tied up in the things from the past. And there are a lot of components to freeing that energy up so that we can use it someplace else. The concept of grief and loss has evolved. It has transitioned through focus on loss, focus on the future. It has transitioned to stages of grief, which was like research done a while back in regards to people dying of cancer. People have made it their own and have taught others about grief and bereavement. And we use a combination of some of these, which looks like a teardrop. And when people enter the loss cycle, there usually is a focus on that loss. They could experience denial, shock, kind of repressing those feelings. There's that bargaining, like, if only I would have done this, then this could have happened. There's fear, anxiety, you know, what am I going to do? I can't do this. There's that mask of anger that kind of hides the initial hurt or fear or despair. And that anger can be placed on ourselves, others, higher power. And then you have the guilt, the shame, where we want to isolate, hide our emotions, that blame towards ourselves. And then at the very bottom of the teardrop, we have this concept of deep sadness, lack of motivation. This is where people can really get stuck in habitual behaviors like alcohol, drugs, obsessions. And so all of those things I just named are that focus on the loss. And then on the other side, there's this focus on the future. And so people go through forms of admitting it to themselves that it did happen, that they can't change it. There's usually an exhaustion that comes with this. Like I'm tired of dealing with this. Something has to change. There's also this acceptance that this is my new reality, that we see things as they really are, that they truly are no longer as we've seen them before. There's also the adjustment. And when people are adjusting, there can be letting go, forgiveness, releasing. There tends to be a 
experience a feeling better or different, more confident about the future. A lot of times people take action plans. They begin to start understanding what they want to do or what they need to do in order to continue to move through loss. This last one I'm going to name is one of the things that I think is really significant to focusing on the future and moving through loss, which is finding meaning. We recognize what we've learned. We start to understand why. And we reconceptualize why we're here, what we're doing, and where we're going. And Josh, one thing I want to point out, because I'd really like to hear your perspective on this, that it doesn't move as seamlessly as I just named it. It is a constant battle between focusing on the loss and focusing on the future. And it usually looks like a really messy coloring picture of, you know, I'm in denial one day and then I want to let go the next day. And then I might move to anxiety or fear in that. And I might find meaning and it looks pretty chaotic when we're going through it. What do you think? I completely agree. I don't think that the grief cycle moves in a linear way at all. I kind of compare it to either a really good game of like pinball, where it's constantly bouncing every single place, or it is like a two-year-old with a big crayon coloring all over a picture. Like it is all over the place. And I think that there are times when we expect it to be like very linear, like we're, I'm here now. And so this is where I'm moving into because it gives us that predictability. Like, but in reality, like we may be in every single stage throughout the process of an hour. Like it's not predictable, but I do think with that, like it's really important to understand that there are a ton of different types of grief Mm -hmm. and the idea that there is a normal kind of grief is not really true. Like there is no normal view of grief, but yeah, I do think we bounce all over the place in our process of healing. You know, Josh, I'm curious to learn like these specific types of grief that you're talking about, which ones do you find to be most like prevalent or that you want people to know about? I think all of them are equally important because no two people experience grief the same way. However, with what I have seen, anticipatory grief is like the idea of someone who has potentially like a terminal illness or someone who has told that they are losing their job at the end of the month. Like you are anticipating this loss. And once you have accepted that this experience is going to happen, we go into this grieving process, even with the job or the person still there, it's that anticipatory grief. And I think that a lot of times I have seen people feel really bad for grieving someone or grieving something that's still there. And It is completely normal for that to occur. Another is complicated grief. Complicated grief happens when our grief reactions and feelings of loss are debilitating, long-lasting, and impair our ability to engage in daily activities. 
So it impacts our functioning in a way that all we can do is grieve. And secondary losses are little and maybe not little losses, but the, the losses that kind of come after the primary loss. They are the things of, I never had to wake up in the morning to take the dog out. My partner always did that and now they're not there. So now I have to do that. It's that loss. It's I, the loss of smelling a perfume or a cologne or the loss of being able to talk to a friend at work that was there after you've lost your job. Last one. Um, but absent grief is when the bereaved shows absolutely no signs of grief and acts as though nothing has happened. It's characterized by complete shock or denial, especially in the face of a sudden loss. And like absent grief can be really concerning when it goes on for an extended period of time. And this doesn't account for differences in how we grieve. And it's important to note that just because you can't tell someone who's grieving doesn't mean that they aren't. But like absent grief is about the, the complete denial or the complete lack of acceptance or acknowledging that the grief or loss has happened. And we'll have like a resource at some point out for all of these for people who want to read through them. I find when people are experiencing that absent grief, it can show up in that delayed response or in order to help themselves through the loss, it is that pretending that everything is still the same. I mean, and there is delayed grief. I mean, prolonged grief, there's exaggerated grief, there's masked grief, disenfranchised, traumatic, collective, inhibited, abbreviated. There are a lot of types of grief and how grief can show up. Josh, I'm appreciative that you shared these because I think it helps people understand that what they're experiencing is universal, even though it's unique to them. And it helps us know that we're not alone in how we grieve. And same goes for like the stages or the phases of loss. It helps us kind of have an idea of where we're at or where we could go or what we need to to do or be or feel in order to process grief, even if we don't do it exactly as like a textbook would tell us that we, we should or that we need to. As I was doing some research for this episode, like I came across a funeral homes website that was talking about grief and they compared it to like an amusement park house of mirrors hmm. with its maze-like corridors and distorted mirrors. Just a few minutes in such a place can leave you feeling completely lost and bewildered. Which way do you turn? You spin and turn, looking for the right path, the path back to normalcy. So we turn around, we try to find our right path, that right path being the one that leads us back to normalcy. And in the midst of all that, there's a lot of fear. The solid ground underneath our lives is crumbling or feels it is crumbling and feels that there is nothing to hold on to anymore. Our ordered life has turned into disorder and there's nothing anyone can really do about it. I don't know. I just think that it was interesting that they were comparing it to 
like that shifting floor of a hall of mirrors and everywhere you turn, like you don't know what's really happening. But I do like that analogy because it is mirrors and everywhere you turn, you're forced to see yourself. And whether you are fighting that or whether you are being present to that. And I think that like that hall of mirrors idea is really appropriate because often for those who have experienced loss and are in a grief cycle, their experience may be like difficulty concentrating. There may be apathy, like complete disregard for much of anything or a lack of caring or concern. There's a, as you've mentioned, there's an anger that can be a part in it. Like whether that's we're angry at God or the deceased, ourselves, or whoever's available. <laughs> um, there can be guilt, there's sleep disturbances, like their appetites can change. There's isolating, so we withdraw, like there's irritability, like intense sadness. And sometimes that sadness can be triggered by certain memories. There can be numbness. There can be loneliness or a sense of separateness from others, like no one understands. There can be a loss of life's meaning, like we don't know what we're doing or how we're getting there. And I feel like a lot of these fit into the loss cycle. Right. And maybe I need to add some of these things to that loss cycle in their appropriate places. But Well, and I think they're interchangeable. Like irritability can show up in a state of anxiety regarding the loss. It can show up in the anger. It can show up even in the bargaining. And so these expressions that we experience in our grief are interchangeable. And it depends on how we are thinking and feeling and what emotions are attached to them. And there is that dance between feeling and thought of how either a thought triggers something and then we feel it, or the emotion is expressed, or we feel something in our bodies, and that brings up an emotion, that brings up a memory, that brings up a thought. And it's very difficult to, to discern what we are experiencing in our bodies and in our minds versus what we're experiencing in our environment. Yeah. And I find too that sometimes those who are experiencing grief because of their loss allow others' expectations or their own expectations to be okay. So they like start pushing their grief off rather than actually allowing themselves to manage it. Mm -hmm. I think it is most difficult to be present to how yourself or um, even another person is grieving. And to not want to dismiss it or change it or fix it because it is very uncomfortable, whether you're experiencing it yourself or you're witnessing someone experience it. And sometimes I find that there are those who will keep themselves really busy trying to avoid that silence of actually truly hearing their pain and facing it. And to add to that, I think it's especially difficult for people who experience that to ask for help. Because when we isolate in that grief, 
that loneliness or that feeling of alone becomes even more prevalent and our experience of grieving or lamenting within ourselves becomes so intense that it's difficult to see anything else. And a lot of us don't ask for help in our grief or seek out other people to support us. And I think that has been a cultural thing. I mean, because like not very long ago, like grief and loss in the terms of like funerals, like you had the viewing and the showing all in your house. Like we were very accustomed. I mean, even long before that, like grief was a part of what you, it was a part of everything. And it was a very intimate component to our lives. And now like we have a funeral home. So like grief and loss and especially someone's passing has become so sanitized that we think that grief shouldn't be hard. And it has created a way of viewing loss that has made it very challenging for people to think that it's okay to ask for help. I mean, because as, like, as soon as someone passes in this reference, like we send the body off, like so that it's all of these things happen. And it's like that out of sight, out of mind type thing. Whereas like if, I mean, literally my grandmother, her mom's funeral was in the home. Like it really isn't that long ago when this was a thing. And like they prepared the bodies. Like, I mean, all of these things, like, I mean, back in the day, they used perfumes and like cleaned the body and like all of that stuff. Like that was part of the process. Like, Mm-hmm. And I can't help but to think like how healing that could actually be. Mm-hmm. Like, because you are sitting with your loss, like you are forced to sit with it. Right. Literally. I mean, in that process of like preparing the body of your loved one, like that is a, yeah, I think that the way that we handle loss today is has sanitized it to a point to where we don't know how to manage it Mm -hmm. and i think that has created a really big rift in why we are not able to ask for help when we grieve Hmm. so there's that loss of ritual and that loss of understanding that comes with the ritual and how you then sit in that pain and that grief in order to allow yourself to move through it yeah It is interesting how it is difficult for us to look at hard things or talk about hard things or allow ourselves to feel hard things and how that's not passed down of when those things are not witnessed and they're held in, then other people are not aware. They don't know. They don't learn from what you are experiencing and it becomes taboo for that expression of grief to come through. And it doesn't mean you can't have privacy or personal processing. And I think there's a balance between what we're talking about, that expression of grief being intimate and more community-based and culturally public versus that privacy of internally experiencing the loss. And I think we need both. 
And it brings us to that question, is grief okay to express? I think grief is essential to express. And I think expressing our grief is one of the steps in order to heal it or to heal from it. Carl Jung, a psychoanalyst, one of his quotes is, what you resist persists. And I find that to be be very true. And he goes on to talk about how embracing your grief for there, your soul will grow. And expressing grief for me, I really like using parts work. Josh, what is parts work? We've kind of talked about it a little bit in the past episodes, but it is essentially how I kind of see it in my head is where imagine we all have a choir in our head and each person of that choir is saying something different to us, whether that be something that someone has said to us that we've internalized and start saying to ourselves, it is our beliefs, it is our values, it's our judgments, it's all of those things kind of coming together. And in every situation, we have these parts that talk to us and like I break them down into like six (laughs) main categories. But when we have all of those parts talking to us at once, it can be really, really hard to understand what to do. Kind of like those mirrors. Like those mirrors. So with parts work, it is actually calling out the feeling or the experience that you're wanting to give a voice to and allowing it to really speak. So like we go through frustration, anger, rage, like which one of those stands out? Like, is it, are you more frustrated? Is it more anger or are you in a state of rage? And then you give that feeling its voice. So what is the anger really saying? I do think it is different when we give our feelings a voice versus allowing our feelings to control us and then lashing out. Sure. So let's say I am grieving the loss of my favorite shirt because it got tore up in the dryer and the dryer gnomes didn't get it pulled all the way into their little village by the time I opened the door. So (laughs) it was snagged. And the more I pull on it, the worse the tear gets. So my anger may be saying like, I am really mad that those dryer gnomes murdered my shirt. Right. Rather than (laughs) lashing out at the dryer gnomes and kicking the dryer, wanting to burn their village down, whatever, right? So like, it's actually saying like, this really bothers me because that was my favorite shirt. So then you go from anger into like anxiety, fear, panic, like what's the fear? Like, well, the fear is is that I'll never have another favorite shirt. Then helpless, hopeless, depressed, like, I feel hopeless because that was my favorite shirt. It was given to me by my grandma. What is the hurt, sadness, or grief? Well, the sadness is is that she'll never be able to give me another shirt again because she's not here anymore. 
well, what's the shame and the guilt? Well, I feel guilty because it was my fault for putting it in the dryer and I knew I should have just hung and dry it. So, and then after you go through those, it can be like, what's the wise person? What's that wise mind, wise man, wise woman? What would they say? And then you take a deep breath and allow yourself to be like, you know what? It's a shirt. The connection that you had to your grandma is far bigger than that shirt can ever. Yes, it may be a representation, but just because you can't wear it doesn't mean you can't keep it or whatever. I mean, so for me, that's how I like to use part work. Like I use that as a very basic template. Um, but there can be a, a lot of different ways to use it. Like we can hear people telling us from our past that we're not good enough or that if you do the right amount of work then that's going to work out or shame on you for moving far away and trying to be in a relationship that'll never work out or like all of those voices and we constantly are bombarding ourselves with them and it can be really hard to do anything like you shouldn't be feeling grief this late in the game like you should have already been done with this like why are you still grieving your loss was six years ago well it was my only kid so I think it is really important to give those parts a voice but just as important as it is to give them a voice it is to recognize that you are not those parts like you are the objective observer you're getting to hear all of these pieces therefore you get to choose what you listen to and how you respond to them and that's why i really like that wise mind wise person component because you actually get to start balancing out what those parts are saying with something potentially more positive positive. and what you're bringing up for me is how significant the language that we use with ourselves impacts our grief totally like those shoulds could have, would have, if that is the story we, we are telling ourselves, then it makes those voices stronger. It makes those parts stronger. It makes them overwhelming to us. And if we can center into witnessing what these different parts are experiencing and give them a voice and allow them to be heard, even in their pain, we are able to respond with more thoughtful language, language that is loving, compassionate, understanding, instead of fighting or belittling those parts of us. And another thing I like to invite people to do or to use is using the words right now at the end of phrases. I don't feel, I don't feel like I'll ever be okay right now. Right now, this is how I feel but it, it's okay if I feel different tomorrow. Yeah. And so even the tense of our language, like not past tense, not future tense, but present tense. Yes. Something that I really like to use surrounding grief is our felt sense or our feeling within our bodies. And sometimes people have a very visceral, like intense feeling in the body. And sometimes people don't like aren't connected to their bodies at all. And so it's very difficult for them to feel what's going on. And when I see someone having that emotional expression, like expressing their grief from their loss, 
it is usually connected to that physiological process in the body. The eyes start to swell. You know, the breath starts to shorten. The chest becomes tight. That pain in the heart really shows up. There's tension across the shoulders. And we underestimate how our body is expressing things in the same way our emotions and our thoughts are showing up. And if we can connect to what our body is experiencing, it does help us move through that emotion more significantly. Because a lot of times we'll, you know, let ourselves start to cry, or even if we allow ourselves to cry, there's still something stuck. There's still that voice that shows up or that part that is in pain. And it's just noticing. So that presence again becomes so significant in noticing where you're feeling that tension in the body and allowing yourself to witness it. Like as you cry, notice how it moves, notice how it declines and then rises again. And this is something that people try to control and I invite them not to because it's like ocean waves coming up on the shore. You don't control how those waves come up, but there is a, a rise and a fall to them. And I do see people grieve in that way. Yeah. And I think it's important that like, it's like you said, like to notice what comes up as you allow yourself to feel with your body, like what thoughts, what feelings, what, what mm -hmm. really is happening. I mean, cause our brain keeps our memory and so does our body. Right. And if we're only processing with one component of memory, then there is an entirely different world of memory that's still living or trauma or hurt or loss or grief mm -hmm. that we've never given opportunity to express. Yeah. So yeah, that is it for the initial grief and loss. We will be moving into how grief fits in our lives and the cycle of life. like how we can hold space for grief mm -hmm. and what grief can teach us. Yeah, I'm excited for these. Cause again, it's not something that we talk about very often. Abby, it has been a pleasure. As always with you too. <laughs> you can check out our website at stillpointhealing.com. You can check out our Facebook and Pinterest page at stillpointhealing. And you can email us at so you can heal at steelpointhealing.com with any questions, comments, concerns, or topic ideas. And we look forward to hearing from you. Bye. See you later.